0: That's right. Welcome back to another episode of Political Football. And what an honour and what a week it is to be hosting another episode. A pre-budget special and a pre-Magic Round preview coming your way shortly. But that was Aerosmith's dream on leading you into this podcast. Guess what? I was doing a lot of dreaming on the weekend. I've been doing a lot of dreaming for a long period of time there, actually, as a West Tigers fan. But finally, the drought is broken. The l 7 starts of the season is over. And what a way to do it. In regional New South Wales, Carrington Park in Bathurst. You know, my second home up there in Bathurst, many say. Um, getting the win over the defending, the two-time defending premiers, the Penrith Panthers, in an absolute mudlark of a game. Luke Brooks getting one over Cleary and putting all those daily telegraph, bloody flogs to the, to the sword. Buzz Rothfield, poor Kent. How you like me now? But, uh, let me introduce you again to my trusted
1: co-host, Mr. Joseph Boyden, how are you today? Good, Tommy. I'm very good. Uh, Not as good as you, obviously, flying from the Tigers' win. I was with you at the pub when we watched that together and you were intolerable. But, uh, (laughs) no, I was very, very, very pleased for you and and the Tigers' community. But I'm just warning everyone listening to this right now that yeah, there's going to be a lot of Tiger rhetoric, so yeah, you strap yourself in. Strap yourself
0: in, but that won't be for a little while. Get to the, political, get the polit- political stuff out of the way first, the policy stuff out of the way first. Just a short congratulations to yourself as well, Joseph, for graduating and joining the wonderful alumni of the University of Sydney, uh, one of the, Sydney's most prodigious teachers on the market now, and uh, congratulations to that. I'm sure your family's very proud. So Much appreciated. Good on you there, mate. But uh, let's get into it. We're going to have a little pre-budget special today, so again, there's been a lot of things making the news in relation to uh, the budget and what cost of living measures are going to be brought in uh, by Treasurer Jim Chalmers and the Albanese government, um, with sort of cost of living crunch being the number one issue at the moment uh, in the political realm. Um, so we'll sort of look at delivering a budget uh, with a with cost of relief packaging package for the sort of the most vulnerable, balancing that against sort of the long-term structural reforms um, that the budget needs in order to meet the spending demands that Australians want going forward in relation to health, NDIS, aged care, um, defence and other, other spending pressures as well um, and what's on the table there. And, and so I suppose we'll start by just giving a bit of a rundown of the macroeconomic environment because I think it's important to understand that before we launch into what could be in the budget, uh, what's pushing in terms of, you know, what, what do we see in terms of job seeker and the potential raising the rate there, um, the single parent payment, uh, and other measures put forward by the Economic Inclusion Committee and the the Women's Advisory Committee. Uh, so I suppose it's going forward, this is probably the, well, the budget delivered last year was certainly on the way to an inflationary environment. But now that now the inflation's been set in for about a good twelve months now. Um, you know, and and more people coming off fixed uh fixed interest rates onto variable rates that are you know could be three to three and a half percent, four four even five percent higher than what they got on initially, um. The, the, the spending crunch is coming through to that. Rents are increasing, obviously energy prices is driving some of these cost of living crunches that, uh, that we're experiencing at the moment. Alongside sort of the natural uptick in spending. I think Australian households saved over 300 billion during the pandemic. Obviously, not as much to spend on. You couldn't go out to the pub, couldn't spend on services, you know, because a lot of that was restricted during um, lockdown periods. There's been a natural draw- drawdown of that. And I'm, I'm not sure about yourself, Joseph, but I'll tell you what, my savings account has been all downhill since uh, since COVID lockdown. I mean, how, how have you found do you Do you notice when you go for a shop that you know what if well it was a fifty dollar shop before a hundred dollar shop before it was now seventy five dollars or yeah. one hundred and
1: fifty. Hundred percent. I went down to get some bloody cereal the other night. You know, like not much in the fridge, dessert wise, and I'm a big cereal man for dessert. And I've waddled down the shops, got myself a box of cereal, a carton of milk, and then I don't know one maybe one other thing. You know, like a bloody roll up. Paper towel or something, just you know, clean up some spillages <laughs> as you do. Um, and it's like you're paying like eighteen, nineteen, twenty bucks for three small items that are like c- cereal. What we're talking about here, yeah, yeah. So I clean out of the the self
0: checkout register. My savings account is effed. <laughs> it's um, you know, that so there there you go. There, there's a bit of uh, you know, real politics, so to speak, of uh, what the average man's experience, the average Joe. If, uh, if you'll pardon the pun. And, and so some of those things as well. So if you combine that, you, you look at the size of the debt this time around. It's not necessarily that interest rates are increasing from historic lows, right? But it's the asset price inflation that has experienced over, over recent years during the, during the pandemic, but also over the last 30 years. It's a long-term structural challenge and the size of the debt now. So a 1% increase in, in interest rate previously might have been, say, $250 a month. Now it's, you know, 500 to $650. So a couple of percent of those, all of a sudden, the average mortgage you're paying $1,200, 1400 a month more. While wages, well, we've seen some uptick in wages, but we still haven't seen anywhere near the sort of level of where it's anywhere near the level of inflation there or, or sort of the, the increase that we've seen in asset prices there. So as that that disparity grows between the you know, the size of your mortgage to your income, obviously that leaves you less room to for your disposable income there, and it, yes, you know it puts a puts a crunch on the household budget, so to speak. And that's a, that's the same at a federal level as well, right? There were, during the pandemic, right? It's probably a a common thing amongst economists that you'd rather over overreach and overspend in honest, you know, to try and preserve the economy through the actual period of the of the crunch. You know, during the pandemic, where you know businesses were shut down because of health regulations and everything, rather than actually pulling it back. But now. Their interest rates are increasing, servicing that debt, which the fa- servicing that debt is becoming the fastest growing spending item on the budget, as well as all these other constraints in relation to you know, you know the de- defense expenditure review, uh, the Defense strategic review actually came out and said an additional 19 billion dollars is required to make the defense force fit for, fit for, uh, fit for purpose, I should say, the aged care or commission, you know aging population you know, all those things cost money, you know, into the well into the billions of dollars, reforming Medicare, you know, and, and you know, being able to meet the chronic shortage of GPs and, and primary health care that we've seen going forward. So the, all these things put uh, pressure on different arms of the budget, right? You know, so a budget is about choices, and that's what I'm trying to establish here. Uh, and that's the sort of macroeconomic environment that we're operating in. The other thing I want to mention as well is that sort of multi-factor productivity has bounced back. So the productivity is what we're able to do in one hour's worth of work. So, you know, what I could do last year, I'm 5% better at what my job now, for example, that means I can do 5% more in, in an hour, for example, what I could do previously. That is still, that's not coming from that, actually. It's actually coming from us working more. So productivity has gone up, but it's still the worst form of productivity, to quote um, an esteemed colleague of mine. Um, in saying that, I will say to those people listening, especially for those colleagues of my work, that inflation is still 7% and I hope you take that into consideration uh, when you're going through my moderation for my pay increase for next year. So uh, <laughs> there, there we go. Um, so they're, they're the key things I wanted to get through in terms of the macroeconomic environment. Now, in terms of what that actually means for the budget, Joseph, um, the, going forward, actually this year we'll see, we could potentially see a, a, a short-term surplus because of the huge gain that we 've seen in royalties for um, commodity prices that 's iron ore coal uh, and gas because they 've skyrocketed up largely because of russia 's invasion of ukraine and, the, and that flow on through pushing up energy prices throughout europe and and globally as well um, so you we might say that but structurally that means long term you know taking out the assumptions of higher commodity prices we 're actually seeing that is a structural gap of a 2%. So in fact, we're actually be spending every year, the government will spending 2% more than what they're raking in. And so that equates to about $50 billion a year. Grant, Est- Grant Institute estimates that might be around $70 billion a year. So in other words, you've got those spending pressures there, but then you've also got this thing, well, we're actually not raising enough revenue to, to fill that. So it's gonna come through either raising taxes or cutting spending. So that's what we talk about the expenditure side, or we talk about um, the revenue side there as well. Now, in terms, you got any questions there? Just as I give a little economic masterclass there, mate.
1: No, I'm pretty good at the moment. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, So the the key things, and I suppose you know, me me like in the, the socioeconomic realm, um, where the rubber hits the road is some of the key measures that have come up um, in terms of. Um, you know especially looking after vulnerable people in the economy or people more susceptible susceptible, susceptible to um to uh, economic shocks uh, the most vulnerable of our population is raising the rate of the single parent payment from 8 to 14 or 16 now this definitely looks on the card for cards for the government next week um Katie Gallagher mentioned it on insiders just on a uh, over a on a fortnight ago now uh, and it's, this is something i 'm really passionate about as someone who grew up in a sole parent household um, I sort of won the lottery uh, mum always had a great job, and I had a great support network around me allowed me you know she, you know that, that, was never, that was never really an issue. There was periods of time where it was certainly certainly tough, but never access income support but it's a decision that we make as a society to actually treat sole parents like this and, and it 's not by choice that people become single parents at all and you know as i said you, you you don't know i won the lottery as a child but other people might not be equally, equally as lucky and so there's some work being done by the uh the national council of single mothers and their children the ncsmc that over the last decade about 30 percent of single mums have lived in poverty and uh we haven't switched the dial over that period of time so the melbourne institute research estimates that the poverty line for a single parent with one child uh who is work uh who is working sits at about seven hundred and ninety one dollars a week inclusive of housing costs. Um but when the parent so when the child turns eight, currently they go from the single parent payment which is about nine hundred and fifteen dollars a fortnight to the job keeper payment which is about three hundred and forty seven dollars a week. So it's about a two hundred dollar difference. And unless you're some sort of magician, the, the bills don't stop at um when, when a child turns eight, they, they can't, can't work until at least they're 14. Wouldn't a child 14.
1: become more expensive when they're, like, as they get a little bit older? Because they get, like, more interest social-wise. You get, it, like, if they want to go to the movies with their mates or yeah. go for dinner with their mates or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm not even talking about that. a healthy, growing body requires more yeah, food. Yeah, more food. Like, you know,
0: education costs usually go up yeah. as you get older. yeah. Um, as well So It, it was, it was a, you know, As it was a significant mistake Of the Gillard government I'm happy to criticise it um, And I'm glad it's being rectified now Or at least it That's appears to be big from you Well uh, look I've always I've always called this out I've always called this out As long as anyone's on me you say, said What do you think of the Gillard government I said mate You should have told me What they did to the single parents
1: Driving over here I was thinking to myself I wonder if when the budget happens if there'll be anything you you will criticize <laughs> well but, but there you go you just you just criticize a past labor decision yeah, so that's yeah.
0: a big step absolutely absolutely <laughs> and and another big step is acknowledging that you made a mistake in the past and willing to rectify it, <laughs> right and that's what the government's trying to do here and i think that's a good thing now i think by some reports moving on to job seeker now um which is the unemployment benefit um which is you know $49.50 a day I think it's about seven, seven, over 700 bucks a, a fortnight around that mark. Um, and so it's below the, what's considered the Henderson poverty line that you, the cost you need to get by, the sort of to you know, 50% of the minimum wage to get by. Um, there's talk that they might increase it, but not for only over 55. So there's been some reports, Channel 7, Mark Riley reported it. Now, I won't believe this until I actually hear it from the horse's mouth, Jimmy Chalmers, next Tuesday night, but that is to be a significant mistake if he does that. But first of all, it's just wrong, right? Again, fifty-five. It doesn't matter if you're fifty-one or fifty-six, and you're unemployed, and especially if you've been unemployed for over twelve months, you're facing the same budgetary concerns, right? And I think, you know, certainly over fifty-five females have been the fastest growing cohort, I believe, of um, unemployed, but. This is all only two. I think it's about two hundred and fifty, two hundred and sixty thousand over fifty-five out of the nine hundred thousand plus who are on it. So that leaves about six hundred thousand under fifty-fives, especially a lot of young people who, who are, you know start to enter the job market. They're unemployed for a period of time too. Um, even though they've been most to benefit from a low unemployment rate, um, it just it just make, it complicates things, and it's it's just silly it's, silly. it's just silly, you know. Like you can't treat policy different for different people, just because they're a different age. It's a reverse ageism, mate. And I won't stand for it, no. But it it, it definitely needs to be increased. I mean, even John Howard, who I definitely think is the first person I think of when I think of a social compass, uh, (laughs) has said that it needs to increase. The Business Council of Australia, obviously the ACTU, uh, eleven Labour, I think it's growing. The list goes by that eleven Labour backbenchers have come out in support of it. It's just fundamentally common sense, right? No one chooses to be unemployed, right? Especially when the unemployment benefit is so low. No one's going to choose to go on the unemployment benefit over actually getting a job where you double your economic gap. But you, also uh, they put overnight like
1: as I like, I'm about to get bloody economic, and this is this is huge for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As the cost of living goes up and inflation goes up, it'd make it harder for people to retire sooner right so that like more people of those ages in their 50s would have to work longer or whatever Um, But if they can't find a job like what are they meant to do there you know what I mean yeah
0: and and so with the with the payment it does get indexed to inflation so it does go up Oh, okay. uh, but that that's just keeping up with the yeah. you know sort of the the cost of living doesn't actually lead to any real increase. Just mm-hmm. it means you keeping up with the bi- basic minimum. And it's, the thing is, it's not even the basic minimum. It's, it's below the Henderson poverty line, and what I mean, there's different interpretations of what the poverty line is. But so it's about fifty percent of the median wage, and 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 it's one of the one of the lowest in the OECD. Um, we'd have one of the highest average wages in the OECD, but we'd have one of the lowest unemployment benefits. And the thing is, a lot of it goes to the, the myth. We like to think of us as a, that we're a place of the fair go. And, and I largely think Australians do think that. But you, you go up and you watch a current... If you see it, even if you don't watch a current affair or, or today, tonight, you'll see, you know, the, the latest thing on the ad, they caught the latest dull bludger, you know, who's... Taking yeah. the TV out the back of a St Vincent de Paul or something like that. Yeah. It's like, that is just the biggest fallacy ever. Like, that is such a small percentage of people. You know, I can certainly point to many other government programs where people who are employed are doing questionable things. I mean, you look at the size of the Medicare program every year and how much supposedly being is rorted there. The NDIS, they can be started on that, but Billy Shorten's on the case on that one, mate. Uh, well,
1: I won't get tinfoil, Hattie, but that type of stuff is... That comes down to who funds those t v programs and what they're trying to sort of make people think well it yeah, just goes you know like you know it's
0: it's always easiest to pick on the like person channel has... nine
1: channel nine is like a clickbait yeah. t v channel right yeah. it's like so when, Except for you, like, when they're telling you how annoying dole budgers are and they're cheating everyone that 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 story in itself is is trying to tell people a way of thinking about a certain group of people Yeah. whereas like you, you Know if you go to a different program, yeah, it shows that people who are on the dole are in very hard situations in their life and make and they empathize in a different way. Yeah. So it all comes down to who funds yeah. those. And,
0: and so, I suppose it goes down to the feed that sock. If that you think the unemployed is some 23 year old who's playing video games in his mother's basement, then you're probably not going to think much sympathy to it. But if you actually think about it, it's someone that could have been employed for 30 years. And because they're over 55 now, mm. as you get older... Yeah, but they just
1: categorise into one group. Yeah, yeah that's
0: yeah. right. Yeah. And so it needs to be rectified. And there's a reason it gets amped up when the Labor government's in, because the coalition make it a, a, a choice you know, to target the unemployed. I, I heard Dutton the other day, just as Albanese is kicking a few own goals, come in and say he wants to bring back the work for the Dole scheme. You know? mm. He may as well be the, bloody the warden from Shawshank, running, <laughs> running the highway contracts with that sort of stuff. <laughs> Uh, but I wouldn't expect anything less from, uh, from good old Dutto up there in queensland uh, in Queensland town. Yeah, um, that's right. But um, so that's one. That's a that's another thing, and I think it, that must go up. Um, and again, you say, well, it's a it's a again. Budget budget's decision. Well, if we want to increase this, it's about six billion dollars a year to increase it to the to the recommended level of the economic inclusion committee's recommendation. Well, then. What's the spending on? Well, there's many things you could do. You could get rid of the WAGST deal. You could look at further, um, you know, cutting back of super tax breaks uh, for that. You could look at capital gains discount for investors, for example. So it's about the sell, right? Anything that anything that's actually worthwhile doing is a hard political sell. But if there's ever a time to do it, now's the time. Um, so that, that's my that's my point on that. The other things they're looking at is actually boosting rent assistance. So as Sort of the housing market you know, gets tighter and tighter and, and mortgagees um, look they pass on the, the interest rate increases into the rents they're charging, uh, especially with a very tight supply market in, in metro cities as metro cities bounce back from sort of COVID and where people move regionals, more of a temporary thing. Um, so rents have gone, up, I think, by 10% uh, on year on year. Um, so that means the rent assistance hasn't been keeping pace. So they need to boost the level of rental assistance. I think Grant Institute recommends a 40% increase um, in, the, in the rental assistant payments. Um, and the other thing they're doing is, ch- is cheaper medicines through pharmacy reform. So they've actually announced this policy. It's a really smart policy for someone who, whose mother has uh, diabetes type 1 uh, and a few other uh, comorbidities. Um, she goes through a lot of uh, prescriptions. And so rather than having to go to the GP every month to get a new set of scripts, she can go once for every two months, get two sets of scripts, go to the chemist and get filled up for for the same price or for the reduced price when they just reduce it from 42.50, you're scripted down to $30. So, for the average person who goes through to the safety net every year, I think it saves about $180. So, that, that's another good good measure that's been brought forward. And there's a whole bunch of other things that the government's doing in relation to uh, immigration policy, agricultural policy, all those things will happen in the background. But when it comes to the budget, um, these are the key things.
1: Well, I, have, I have a good uh, policy that should be brought in. Um, there should be weekly checks of under the, your couch pillows, um, and the, you have to offer that up to the government. The other day I found, I think, what was it, about seven or eight bucks in coins under my couch cushion because I sold my couch. A couple of coffees. So yeah, you know, do door knocks, the government comes in, looks under your couch pillows. I think that's pretty, you know, yeah, that's a quick way out of debt, mate. Don't absolutely, worry about absolutely. Russia
0: and, and Ukraine. <laughs> Check your couch. Pillows. Yeah, honestly, to- the- if you're listening right now, look under your couch pillows, yeah. and you'll find something. You know what they call that? They call that the Tooth Fairy tax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's about time Tooth fairies started paying their fair share of yeah. tax. I'm not going to stand for it. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, just before we get to some uh, quick uh, questions here on the on the on the policy side, a couple other things. Uh, the expenditure audit that the, the Treasurer and Finance Minister announced last year has also repurposed several billion to f- fiscal cliffs, cliff left by governments in terms of funding museums and, and government services that are ongoing. So as every outgoing government loves to, you know, fund things to the election, but not fund things over, over going time. But obviously they need to be funded to going forward. Um, I know the National Gallery of Australia was, you know, plugging holes in the wall with bloody buckets at the bottom of the thing, you know, buckets filling the wall. So those sort of things, money will get repurposed. Same, you know, new governments come in and gets repurposed with priorities and that sort of thing. So that's the thing. The other thing is they're also doing an audit of all the infrastructure spent. Um, so probably look for theirs. You probably won't see too many projects cancelled, but you might see some reprioritised and spread over time. And you might see the occasional one which, you know had. You know, $100,000 allocated to it, but actually cost $500,000 to it, get scrapped or get that money additionally allocated because the cost the estimate was wrong in the first place. So um, that's a good wrap there, I think, um, of what we could prospect in the budget coming forward next week. There's going to be plenty, you know, it covers all spending items. So we didn't cover everything there today, but we covered some of the big ticket items like we do here on Political Football. And um, hopefully that gave you a good wrap. But I believe uh Mr. Joseph Boyden, you have some uh, questions there from our much-loved audience. We had, we had thousands of questions actually come in this week, but we only had a, a time for a couple. So, I well. do. I
1: did some skimming um, and just you know skimmed the, the cream of the crop off the top, if you will. Hibbity-hop top. <laughs> um, sorry, that was, that was terrible. Uh, question one, Tom. Uh any recriminations for the ALP focusing on the middle and not giving enough to the left? Well, that's an interesting one,
0: and I believe that's from is that from the messenger, is it? The prophet, the prophet, the messenger. Um, he uh, Well, with that, there's definitely you know when it when it comes to something like if say if they do increase the job seeker benefit for over fifty fives, but don't increase it to whoever's unemployed, then obviously that will have some recriminations and. You know the the way the voting habits younger voters generally vote more progressive whether that's labor greens or independent so if that was a measure that they did introduce then you would think that among some of those voters who, who voted labor in terms of a primary vote may go towards the greens because they think thinking well hang on i face the same cost of living pressures sometimes more stressful because you know some over 55s they might be unemployed but they might own their home for example whereas obviously our home ownership goes down as you go down towards get younger and younger, especially with, with the sort of the home ownership drops off that we've seen. So rents are increasing. So some of the financial stress might actually be as good, as great, or if not more amongst that cohort. So there's definitely that thing too. But as I said, there's still that psyche thing in Australia. I think there was a Resolve poll recently that came out with the Sydney Morning Herald that only 42% of people supported an increase in the job seeker rate. As some people like all like to, for the recommended amount by the commission. Some said a little bit here and there, but again, I would expect that support to be much higher than what it is. It goes to the psychological thing as well. So, in saying that, elections are one from the centre. That middle ground consensus is there, but as I said, I think the job seeker benefit goes above politics. It's about common decency. It's about respect. It's about actually giving people a chance to find their feet again when they've become unemployed. Um, some of our listeners might have had periods of time when they've been on job seeker, but when they've been transitioning between unemployment or they've been laid off for whatever reason, again, no mean of their own, but um, yeah, there's definitely that possibility, um, but I, I would sort of say, you know, they did 20 out of 23 things right, for example, or 20 out of 30 things right, and they get some things wrong, you know, it's, it's there for the public to call it out and do it. So um, there is a possibility there, but that's the nature of the political spectrum. It's an ever-flowing thing, and that's what makes rugby league great.
1: Well, eat your heart out, okay? Um, You nailed that one, Tom. Perfect. Uh, Next question. Do you believe that we will see further cash rate rises in the near future? Well, I think with the RBA's signalling yesterday,
0: they said there's potential for an increase, another increase. Now, given just how tight and and how with every increase, the more and more pressures coming on there. I know they're independent and... Their, you know, their, their goal is to get um, inflation under control, which they don't expect to be within a 2% to 3% ban till, till 2025. I, I would think there's probably one more. You know, A lot of um, market economists are tipping that 4.1%. I heard Shane Oliver today actually say that this needs to be the last one from AMP, and that seems to be more, more where the consensus is going. Um, so th- there could be one more, but there's also some markets of pricing that could be an early drop next year. So... Back to, uh, you know, if, if it, it does hit a harder lending, harder lending, landing, then... Uh, <laughs> lending? <laughs> lending <landing. laughs> um, Harder landing than, uh, than people think or than want the RBA forecast. And obviously there, there will be a drop in that. But um, there's still a whole bunch of people who are yet to come off fixed rates, but that'll progressively occur throughout this year. So again, the, the effect of the interest rates that we've set up to now, they will, again will keep the coming over time So the more, more it jacks up The more the pain will come For those fixed rate um, Mortgagees So um, yeah, I'm thinking one more um, But yeah it just, just in terms of the RBA Because we haven't really talked about The RBA's review And I won't go into it But I will say that I think There needs to be A stronger preservation On, on full employment I'm a big believer in full employment I think we had an Unemployment post GFC Even though we largely Got out of the GFC Too high for too long and that goes part of the criticism that the RBI actually kept rates too too high for too long even though we didn't feel the, the effects too much as other countries and other developed countries across the globe. So uh, I think that, that mandate in relation to price stability versus so like in keeping inflation in that two to three band versus full employment. I think more weight should be given to, uh, to full employment there because I'm a big believer in it. And I think, the, as I said, the,
1: uh, the best form of welfare is a job. <laughs> the politicians love saying that one. Uh yeah, nailed it. All right, well, we'll leave the political questions there. We we got another question or two come through, um, which we'll hit in the sports section. But yeah, we'll uh, transition now into some sport and just prepare yourself for some tiger yarn. Absolutely, happy politics, everybody.
0: Two-time defending champions, and they've done it with defence, they've done it with grit, and they've done it with heart. Well, there you have it. That was the final moments of the game that we mentioned at the start of the podcast introduction. The mighty West Tigers taking on the Penrith Panthers, one of the most underrated battles of the West going around. Uh, compared to Parramatta and Penrith being some of the heavyweights over recent years, but any time there's a derby in of Sydney, whether it's South West Sydney versus West Sydney, or you know Parramatta is the second CBD of Sydney now taking on uh, the Penrith Panthers, or indeed the West Tigers, uh, there's always a bit of spice to these matches. I call it the Sacred Triangle of Rugby League. It is the the one of the ultimate production factories of uh, of league talent uh, in the in the world, uh, obviously. Australia is the epicenter of the rugby league world. So when we, mean, when we mean the world, we mean Australia. But that is our world, and that our world is rugby league. Joseph, uh, what what around the football? Not just the West Tigers, you know, showing that anyone can beat anyone on a given day in rugby league in the in the mighty competition that is in the NRL. But Gold Coast getting a win over the Manly Sea Eagles, who seem to be in a bit of turmoil. The Sharkies, Parramatta showing the showing their worth again. Um, and, you know, the Dogs getting win over St. George. And it seems anything's possible at the moment. You know, South, again, showing their credentials, smashing the Broncos on Friday Night Football. Uh, what what caught your eye in
1: uh, in Round 9 of the uh, National Rugby League? Well, obviously, Parra getting a, a flogging over, or giving a flogging to Newcastle, was obviously a sight for sore eyes for someone like myself, just because, you know, our defence has been pretty good at times most of the year, um, and we've hung into a lot of games, but our attack just looked, has looked very ordinary for the whole season so far. So it was good to just see us put those two pieces together and defend well and then hump all night. (laughs) Um, so that was encouraging. Yes, it was against the Knights, but Knights have been having some close games against some good teams. So, um, I'll still, I'll take it. Um, uh what else did I what else caught my eye? Obviously the Tigers win, and we'll get we'll get into that quite thoroughly, I can imagine. Uh but I think I uh, I harp on about this team quite a lot. I don't know, you'd think you'd almost think I'd go for them if you didn't know I'd go for para. But South's getting a huge win over the Broncos, like pumping them. What was the score? I just had it up here. 32 sixty two six, like Um rabbits are looking real real good now and probably really energized for the next year or two with white and signing there uh so yeah brisbane were have been really impressive and um look the part but yeah the rabbits just dismantled them so yeah that caught my eye for sure um and yeah all the other games very entertaining of course but uh interesting still seeing the Roosters struggling a little bit against the Warriors. Like only 14-0, they got the win. But still they don't they just don't look like the Roosters of the last five years or six years. Um so yeah, but yeah. Rabbits caught my eye and, and para probably. Well yeah,
0: that was a good comprehensive round, but let's let's sink our teeth into it a bit more. Let's start with that Saturday th- Saturday night game, the West Tigers over the, the defending premiers. Now for any one of those uh couch jockeys who said the Tigers are struggling and all that, you know, a, life's old saying is that you're never as good as what you think you are, and you're never as bad as how people tell you you're going. Well, that was the case for the West Tigers, uh, and people have been sticking the, the boot in the Lux for, for over a month now, or, you know, over, since the start of the season. But anyone who's watched the last month of football, arguably the best team against Parramatta, definitely the best team against Manly, and, and now taking down the defending premiers. This win was coming. Uh, it was a matter of time, as jo- Joseph predicted last week on his own podcast, uh, the Hooking Podcast. Tune into that or subscribe on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. A little cross promotion there, just like Channel Nine. Um, <laughs> you also did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did. Yeah, I did, did. Yeah, but that was just more so at a I had a hope than uh, than anything sort of. Predicted. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it was. But yeah. like you, you came to that conclusion in in a way that sounded confident.
0: Yeah, and and I say that because I said that. For me, there's no difference between coming 15th or 16th or even getting the spoon the shoe 17th, than then there is, you know, bowing out in week one or two of the finals because if I'm not in it to win a comp, then, you know, I'm just delaying the heartbreak to, to when I think there might be actually a chance. If there's only one thing worse than hope, and that's for, false hope. <laughs> um, uh,
1: I, don't, I, don't, I don't totally share yeah. that. that that's a bit of an exaggeration, it. actually. But, no, I understand it, and, it, and it's valid, yeah. but that I feel like that just says there's... From the very beginning of the very of the season, there's only one team who's going to win. So, like, what's oh, yeah. the point? And you got to you know put yourself in mean? the picture. But be, also, like, know. making top four brings more fans to the club. <laughs> making finals brings more fans to the club. So I feel like it's more. It's not just about that Premiership. It's more about growing your club and securing your future by succeeding yeah. to any extent, really.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that feeling does come from hurt. <laughs> uh, hurt by Johnny Cash. Good song. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, in saying that, I hope is actually the best of things, in the words of Red from Shawshank Redemption. Um, but what I thought was great was Luke Brooks was the best player on the paddock. And, and for him, for someone who is the absolute weeping boy, we talked about your on your podcast last week and how sort of the, the media pressure these days is so amped up because of the, how much the broadcast rights dictates uh, the revenue for the game and just how much of a media cycle needs to go on in the media circus. Um, but for him to go out there and ignore the people, I'm sure he's the leader of social media, which is great. But I'm sure he still sees his name in the paper occasionally or on TV. It's hard. It's hard not to he ignore. Probably just him. gets yelled at. Yeah, time, yeah, I can imagine. Like yeah.
1: he's the biggest. Like he's been a laughing stock for a long time. Yeah. Like out and a lot of it out of his control. Like yeah. one player on a team that hasn't done well. Yeah. And
0: for someone who's a staunch Luke Brooks loyalist, um, it, it, it was a proud, it was a proud day for 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 myself and uh, indeed for for myself and Luke's family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um his kicking game which some people have criticized in the past and, and certainly there's been games where um it, it, it struggled but from the outset that forty twenty absolute s- bloody sniper mm. From inside the 40 there, he knew he was on fire. The first uh, try of the day um, was through one, one of his kicks into the end goal. Uh, and then from there, uh, he just he kicked Penrith to death. He did what Penrith would do to other teams, what Cleary would do to other teams. Uh, but in, in the wet weather foot, he just kicked the corners, made uh, Penrith bring it out of their own end. Um, and, and that was a recipe for success. Um, again, it was going to be a low scoring game. They got the bickies. I thought that, that as I said over recent weeks, the forward pack um, continues to go from strength to strength. Um, now that Papa Lee stopped getting hospital balls there on the left edge, he, he's really coming to his own. As I would say, Papa Lee Pooley. Um <coughs> And Clemmer over 200 metres. Uh, Johnny Bateman did, did his role. I still, I still you know, get giggles from seeing Johnny Bateman in the Tigers jersey. It you know, makes my heart warm. Um, and and uh, and young Jareem Buller isn't he a young star? As I said on the uh, the coverage, isn't he a young star? Look at this guy coming through. He's, he's a, a footy a,
1: player. This guy. He's a footy. He's a footy fan. Of Jareem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Um. So
0: th- that's that. And then uh, so uh, again, this win this win will mean little if we come out and lose to St. George Larrar Dragons. The uh, <laughs> the Hugh Morgan Tom Pooley Cup. Um, Hugh Morgan was already laying him into Five uh, five minutes after the game, saying Dragons are going to beat us by forty. Um, I think he was doing more so out of the hurt. This is a, this is a guy who lives in Bournemouth, um, and is surrounded by tigers, tigers fever. But we'd love to jump on the bandwagon, but got it on too late in life. So um, I'm thinking of you here as you come through that. And if you do want to come over, we welcome you with open arms. Um, especially after this weekend, of uh, a magic round. But um, the other game I wanted to talk about uh was Manly, uh, rudderless without Tom Chilbovich. Now, since 2019, obviously he's had his fair share of injury runs. Um, they're now 18 from 54 uh, without him um, and that's enough of a sample size for me that, so that's a genuine issue that's well under if I, I'm not a mathematician but that's well under 50% for my calculations <laughs> um, it's um, yeah so I, I think Manly and there seems to be a bit of trouble going on there Joshie Schuster and uh, Dean Madison a reserve grade player getting into a bit of a bit of hoo-ha training and Josh Alouye, uh the moral compass over there uh, getting in there to, to break it up but uh, I don't want to talk ill of something that I didn't observe but um, yeah, interesting there And again another proof That the uh, The Gold Coast Titans uh, earn, On their day Are actually a pretty good team um, So that's that And then I'll, I'll let you go on this one I know you mentioned a bit before But uh, I just want you to walk me through You know What what you think makes South so good Is the ability to put on points quickly Is it multiple ways To score points uh, Tell me what you really like About South this year
1: Yeah I feel like They're, like, they're just never out of a game Depending Like the scoreline doesn't fully dictate how they're gonna play their footy. Like they're always sharp, they're always fast, they're always hard, like they're coming at you a hundred percent regardless of if they're down or they're up or you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of teams in the NRL who if they're if they're gonna win the game, like para, like if para are gonna win they're probably gonna win by thirty. But if it's a tight one, they get in their shell, make errors, whereas South South could be up two and they play their best footy when they're in those close games, or when they're down, they don't look like they're out of the game. They're always looking to attack, and they're always looking dangerous. So yeah, they're just like I don't know. I think it's their attack is the thing that I like the most. Like yeah. obviously, there's I've, I think they've had games where their defense has been put on, um, what would you call it? Put on notice a couple yeah. of times, but like yeah, if that ability to score points in in hordes. Continues to be there for them. I think they'll be fine. Yeah,
0: and and I think this year as well. I um, have to go to Kubrick Croncon on here, yeah, but uh, that that right edge has been unlocked with Campbell Graham. Uh, the, obviously, the left edge yeah. for for the best part of a decade has been dynamic with that with that shape out the back and the credit Those three on the two three on twos. Um, but like last week. Like, I think I think they'd become the number one right edge attacking team in the cop and you combine that with the left edge and it's like pick your poison in relation to how you go and obviously when they get the mid edge battle they could go through the middle as well with Damian Cook so there's multiple ways for them to skin a cat at the moment and it seems to be working as well and obviously um, you know, it, it, football is a is a pendulum of a game if your attack's going well it means you defend less and when you defend you come with more energy kicking the corners you know um, bunkering teams down in their own end so um Seems to be a winning side of football at the moment for uh,
1: the South Sydney Rabbitohs, the pride of the league, so to speak. That's what some people tell me. Just a uh, question going back to Manly, uh like this—the turbo issue is so blatant and so obvious, and it happens every year. He gets injured or he goes out, and like Manly falls apart. You know what I mean? They're like, "Oh, well, next year he'll be healthy." Blah blah blah. Like, with, it's the same story every year. Yeah. Um, and right now he looks a shell of himself like you see him in games if he makes half a break like gets half a sniff through the line he like surrenders himself and he'll he'll go down like you know what i mean they'll have one bloke around with a hand on his leg and he just all he needs to do is just like stay on his feet yeah and he just surrenders himself because he looks like he's nervous to run or he's like holding back or something um and that's like, terrifying, I guess, if you're a Manly fan. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is how long... If you're Manly, you're like, you don't get rid of Tom Trebojevic, obviously, because it's Tom Trebojevic. You always want to have him there. But, like, for the amount of cap he's chewing up, when do you start to think, like, this is an issue? We either shift him to a different position, like, or we look somewhere else. Like, when does that happen? Is that is that if they don't make the finals this year and he's still injured... All off-season This season Or if it happens again next year Or is it going to be like Five, six years from now When Manly have poured Ten million dollars Into this one player And haven't reaped Any benefits from it yeah.
0: Well I think a lot of it Will be tied to Tied to his money in the cap For my understanding, I'm close to him If in million dollars a year Um, So when you have that much Top money tied to the player You don't really want him Playing in the centres or the, or, the, or the wing You need him You want to be Your on position So whether that's Full back or a long term Move to, to five, eight uh, but again defending on the line, I just not as much running as full back, but again you you more leave yourself contact, more yeah. exposed to one on one contact. So um yeah, it's an interesting one and I, I hope they're
1: not, he's, they're not where his injuries come from though. And yeah. that's that's what makes me nervous with him. Yeah. Like he's all Soft his injuries are non contact Yeah, r- running in open space or yeah. like getting off the ground or something like it's just always something that's like is this bloke bloody you know, has he been bloody Teflon. In, like Smith's chips His whole life With <laughs> bloody no Veggies or anything Like what's yeah. going on In his mouth Well I
0: think he, he, he's Such a, a rare breed Of an athlete That you know Like a 6'5 But it moves like You know A, a 6 foot You know Running back uh, In the Your in beloved NFL That um, you know Often you know When, you, when you're when you in The thoroughbred Like that Big thoroughbred uh, That you know Obviously things can Go wrong more More quickly Compared to, to I won't say you Because I'm not going To gonna put put yourself in that basket But certainly for me Who couldn't do a hamstring Because he doesn't Run that fast um, <laughs> So there we go. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the wrap, the wrap for uh, the, the last round. Um, I hope you enjoyed that for those selected games that we went through. But let, let's cast our hour forward to, uh, to Magic Round um, uh, in Brisbane. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go last year. Um, have got to say it was enjoyable in, in the sense that um, it's a rugby league festival and obviously being a big fan of rugby league, I enjoy that. Um, I think the Brisbane CBD needs about 10 years' worth of infrastructure investment to bring it up to standard to a global city. Um, but that's just my take, and hopefully, with the Brisbane Olympics that does occur, uh, the public transport options are just atrocious um, compared to compared to Sydney uh, or Melbourne. Um, and getting around, uh, I was uh, I was with someone, but they didn't need to get around. It was just the the footpaths so all had cracks in it. Anyway, that, that's my little <laughs> that's my little accessibility argument. But it was also probably dictated by the fact that I had to wait all weekend to uh, to the West played the Sunday six pm game. And we were in it in the first half, but then Brooks went off with a hamstring, and we ended up getting you know rolled by the North Queensland Cowboys. Um, so it was disappointing that I had to wait go through all these other games and then watch West lose, especially when the first two years of Magic Round we got the win. Mm-hmm. So
1: hopefully I've stayed away this year, and hopefully with that. The, well, it's per like the honestly for for the v- most amount of time. Obviously Dragons have shown a bit of form, but for the most amount of time. The Dragons would have been the team You think the Tigers could beat first Like you yeah. know what I mean That's If Who's next Who could be the Tigers first win Was always said to be the Dragons this season yeah. So now The Tigers have beaten Penrith yeah. And rolling on to verse that team Who everyone thought might be their first yeah. win So You know You could They could come out And Impress and get another win yeah. Or they could come yeah. out and shit the pen Yeah, yeah that's right yeah. Get done by 40 yeah, Like you but said like, But
0: St. George You know, have a good performance in them But again it's Oh so spor- yeah It's so sporadic You know yeah. If hunting is, Hunt is rolling You know and, and they're playing off the back of that Then it's good But then on the weekend A game at home It was like a West It was like a West thing to do A game at home Win stadium Against the Dogs The Dogs haven't really done much This year so far at all They've had a few injuries you know instability in the halves with Burton moves to seven. Flanagan probably looking look, looking like he's out of the club, um, and Josh Reynolds back into the six. You know that, that's a game that you should be banking. Mm. Um, and to lose, you know, 18-16 and to largely be outplayed mm. um, for the vast majority of the game. So yeah, it'll be an interesting one. But didn't they link Kyle Flanagan to Manly? He is. Yeah, I think it's. Awesome. I think it's, it's looking to close to a done deal. W- it's, it's only it'll be like a a base contract and put maybe Kyle's last last chance to loon. So I hope it goes well to him. Otherwise, it could be a over in the in the Super League before you know, uh, but yeah, good on you, Cole.
1: Uh, Tom, time to the pod. Yeah, but the Dragons, I think, or well, their key to success is their defense because, in my, in my opinion, my expert opinion, Tom, uh, if you can f- force a line break against the Dragons, it's a try because Tyrell Sloan <laughs> yeah. he's like he's a he's not he's not even a turnstile. He's a wet paper bag. Like yeah, he, he doesn't he. <laughs> it's like. It's genuinely like he's a piece of paper and they just run at him you know yeah. what I mean? yeah. and he just he just looks so non physically like up to standard yeah. with the rest of the NRL players I don't know what it is in attack he's electric like we've been through that yeah. um I think before but yeah defensively it's just like it's ridiculous yeah. Yeah. I've never seen him make a one on one tackle in my life yeah, that's, uh,
0: that, that's something they need to work on but and, and trust me if we if we didn't make a break uh, we we're going to need that because our support play, our support play is still lacking because we, we still can't find anyone in support when we're running through the middle of the field. That's why I really miss Jimmy Tedesco, but hopefully, uh, Dureen Buller, uh, with his young prodigious talent, can uh, can come through with that. Let's let's move through to uh, the, the previous for, for this week. Um, kicking off on Friday night at uh, SunCorp Stadium, where all games will be hosted. Uh, we've got uh, the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs versus the Canberra Raiders. And let's face it, there's a reason this game's at Friday 6pm. <laughs> <laughs> the death slot. The
1: Pooslinger. Pooslinger match. I mean, I'll i be invested in it because I love my Raiders. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think everyone will be as well just because it's the first first round of Magic Round. But, yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a who's who of, of what could happen. I think the Raiders might come away with it just because... They have a bit to play for, a bit to prove. Um, now that their key player in and is leaving, I think the whole Raiders club will be playing to attract other people to come to their club. So I think, they, I think the Raiders will be playing quite hard for the rest of the season. Uh, and I think the dogs just are too inconsistent and missing some key guys and just don't look the part at the moment. So yeah, Ra- Raiders
0: win that for me. Ra- Raiders win that for me as well. I think they won three in a row now.
1: I know I know they uh got one
0: over, one over the Redcliffe uh, Dolphins, you know, in a tight one on on uh, Saturday there down there in Wagga Wagga again supporting regional New South Wales. Love to see it. Um,
1: but uh, Hudson Young didn't have that knock on leading up into that uh, that last set. Um, Was well, Jamal Fogarty kicked a field goal when they're five meters out from? Dolphins line with a minute and a half to go, and he kicks wide to yeah, yeah. Whiten, and, and yeah, Whiten yeah. looks back at him like, "Are you like, yeah, what are you
0: doing?" Yeah, that's right. Gosh. <laughs> um, then for the traditional, if you can call it a traditional, Magic Round Clash, uh, the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles taking on the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, it's a Manly home game. Again, another rort. The, what Broncos, a the Broncos only play home games at Suncorp yeah. on a Friday night. And then have away games against the Dolphins yeah, at yeah. Suncorp. Play like, fift- <laughs> yeah. like 15 of their 21 games at Suncorp are you Stadium. <laughs> me? Absolute piss take. Um, and yet, again, the people in AFL are criticising uh, South Australia for having one, one weekend when all the games are played in Melbourne, nearly. But um, we'll leave that to another point for another day. Um, that's just for AFL listeners. Uh, you know, if you're long suffering AFL listeners, this podcast. <laughs> Uh, for me, I have, have the Broncos bouncing back in this one. Um, I think uh, they've got a key uh, couple of Payne Haas is back, so is Ezra Mann from suspension. They they uh, seriously missed that in that first twenty minutes against South. So they're actually quite strong, we were six or they were winning them, but they just lost out some of that um, some of that juice. Um, and so I know Manly get Trebovich back. They get Brad Parker back. Yeah, uh, cool, cooler back as well. It's cooler back as well. So there is uh, some, uh, you know, their the, the back line's close to, to full strength without uh, the uh, unfit uh, Joshi Schuster uh, not lining up there. Um, yeah. Paul Kent laying into him for being carrying a few extra love handles around his waist. The, that's uh, NRL 360 to a teammate. But uh, I, I, have the, I have the Broncos winning this. I, I was actually there last year. I think Broncos won this fixture 38 0. I saw Selwyn Cobbo uh, it, take an it intercept off a of DC long ball when Manley was trying to get back into the game. And I said, Come on! Um, and I saw Selwyn Cobbo just launch and I was going like this. For those people listening, I'm just hitting my arm out. For those uh, people listening on the podcast, we will get a video cast going one day when we get enough popularity. Um, so I've got me, uh, Brisbane
1: winning this uh, comfortably. What do you yeah, Brisbane, Brisbane win and win well. Uh yeah, a lot of lot of question marks with Manly at the moment. I don't think there will be a pushover. I think Manly will make it hard, make it tough for the Broncos. But just like, you know, however many tens of thousands, fifty thousand Broncos fans, at that game, will just boy. Well, boy, the boys yeah. all the way home, Tom. So I think Broncos win and win quite comfortably. Fantastic, but it will be will be an entertaining game of Friday night rugby league that football is. at Magic Round. Absolutely, absolutely, and that that's what that's going to be one of the more full games.
0: Hmm. Uh, well, the the, the, the matchups
1: round wide, and there's no, not nothing, nothing really going on. Yeah, yeah. The only other ones this the South Storm game. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a bit. Oh,
0: yeah. I well, m- let's move to Super Saturday. Then uh, we've got the New Zealand Warriors. Taking on the Penrith Panthers. Now, Warriors are still going well. The defence is significantly improved. they won they lost the last two weeks uh, in, in tight games, but their defence has been strong. Just struggle with it, getting points on the board against good defensive teams. The Roosters had a really strong performance defensively on the weekend. Um, taking on the Penrith Panthers. I, I expect that Penrith lost two in a row now. I expect the bounce back factor, especially if it's dry. There's been a lot of criticism that, they are, that Penrith haven't been able to adapt to wet weather conditions. They lost to Brisbane in round one, lost the World Club Challenge in, in wet weather conditions, and then South and, and West have both been uh, in, in not ideal conditions as well. So that's constricted their ability to play their running football and, and their power football that they love to play. Oh, there is some big ins again, especially in their Meteorage games. Uh, James Fisher Harris is back, and so is Spencer Lin so uh, that's some, some uh, much-needed inclusions, inclusions for them going through the middle of the park. Uh, and Nickel clock study is back for, um, for the Warriors. So I expect, again, the Warriors to, to maintain a strong defence. But, again, I, just, I struggle to see how they score more than one to two tries against a determined Penrith outfit. That's you know, you know, pretty much it, it close, to, close to full strength now with uh, Fisher-Harris back end, um, and the like back in the team. So um,
1: Penrith are always cooked off a loss. Like, you've you verse Penrith off a loss, and they're just like yeah. they're at their best immediately the week after yeah. they're like the bounce back kings. But imagine them bouncing back from a bit of a humiliating loss, really. As yeah. like, and I don't, I yeah, don't yeah. want to offend I, you, I, no, I'll take it. but like back to back premiers losing to a team that hasn't won a game in a year yeah. or whatever that will just like, I uh, yeah, I think this will be an absolute lashing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it when you speak like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, who we got at 5.30 there, mate? Uh, Sharks and Dolphins. Uh, up? Uh, you know, Dolphins, again, they they surprise everybody. Sharks are one of the teams to beat, if not the team to beat, sitting in second place currently. Um, but, yeah, Dolphins, You just, they just got it in them. They just got it in them and you can't rule them out. And I won't make the mistake of ruling them out. So yeah. I, I do say sharks win, but you, what, when you look at the ladder, who's where and what, you'd think sharks will pump, but yeah. I can't, like, I can't say that. Yeah. I don't like, yeah, it could be, could be a sharks flogging, but the dolphins have Suncorp's done one well. at SunCorp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure, given their first year at Magic Round, they'll have um,
0: some strong support up there, especially for Hammer Time. Um, <laughs> The the thing is also it's an interesting dynamic in the sense that <laughs> dolphins have been a uh, <laughs> got in good uh, the sharks have been a really good first half team but they've they've uh, they've let it slip a bit that that worries game was a classic example that by like fourteen I think and then, mm. then they lost by two in the end um, and, and dolphins have really come home in the second half obviously they came home so strong in the second half against um, against Gold Coast got Gold Coast and it came back again against um, Raiders last week even though they lost in, in Golden mm. Point but um, yeah, the, the the sharks are a high flying team. That backline is uh is dynamic. Uh, Nico Hines got Nico Golden, Golden Boy Hines is I like to call him absolute rooster. Um, <laughs> both on the field and off the field. Yeah, um, saw him at uh, Beach Road Bondi a few weeks ago, and I gotta tell you, I had to, I, I was, I knew I was no chance. So I Had to get out of there. I
1: had to get out
0: of there. <laughs> no uh, chance. What, are you are gonna crack on? Yeah, not? yeah, that's right. <laughs> too much of a he's... But um, I've got a, just a, a mutual appreciation as well for Mr. Bubba Kennedy, Will, Will Kennedy at the back. 's going to be one of the most underrated players in the competition, in oh, the fullback sure. spot, which is one of the most competitive spots in the game. Um, he is just fantastic. He always pops up in the right spot. He's always there in support. He's reliable at the back. He's great at trying to be in the back lines. Defensively, he can make cover tackles. Um, you know he's one of our most underrated heroes of the game, and uh, totally for correct. for any young player watching uh, NRL, they could do a lot worse than watch Bubba Kennedy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so that's that's my my two cents. Can't there. fault you there, mate. On the Sharkies and and Brett oh, what a line runner! <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, just chops holes, chops inside shoulders like no there's like the, no no tomorrow. <laughs> um, Melbourne Storm versus the Bunnies. Now I imagine when they uh, were putting this together, they they look at the Saturday night fixture as being one of the marquee fixtures, just in terms of. You know, Saturday night's one of the most populous ones there. Caxton Street's buzzing. You know, there's a big vibe around it. Last year was Melbourne versus Penrith. And Penrith got the win. But this year they've got uh, the Storm versus the Bunnies. Um, This will be an interesting matchup, right? Storm have been playing well without being too outstanding. They're coming off a bye as well. Um, But Melbourne v South, I think historically Melbourne have always had the wood over South as well. So, you know, they say styles make fights. This is going to make one hell of a fight. So uh, who's winning this and how are they winning it?
1: I, I think Rabbits will win in a very close line. I think this will be the game of the round. Uh, I don't think there'll be too much in it, Tom, but I think South's pull pull a victory over Melbourne. Um yeah, like Melbourne have looked shaky at times this season, but still again they're they're sitting fourth. So a shaky Melbourne still manages to pull wins together, but they're they're meeting a, a bloody train without brakes on the weekend. <laughs> Terrible analogy, I just got caught on the spot there, didn't know what to say. But yeah, I think South pull pull it over in a a close, good game, game of the round, and um, happy days. Happy days. Happy days days for South, and for my uh, South Premier's bet. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Uh, And then, Tom, Sunday, 150. 150, the West Tigers, the mighty West Tigers face the Dragons. Yep. Just give us your. We've already we've already debunked this whole, you know, this whole matchup and what it could be and what we want it to be. But give us your, just your, Who's gonna win? Who's gonna play well? Who's gonna suck? Who's well, gonna buddy? Surprise! Surprise! We're gonna roll again with with my beloved Tigers in,
0: in this <laughs> one. And, and the the reason I'm giving it is I just think the forward pack will again dominate the middle of the park. We've taken down the manly four pack by large. You know, again, just losing it at the end there. Um, Taking down... I know Penner threw without Fisher-Harris and Lanier, but, you know, still no main feet there. And, and even before that, matter And I think just when you look at the Ford pack, I mean, let me put some respect on these guys' names. Stefano Utoicamano has been immense the last month. Um, he was largely injured last year, but he's really found his feet again. Happy Coruscant, I don't need to say anything about him. Outstanding. Will be in the origin team this year, and I'm looking forward to cheering on a New South Wales player from the West Tigers for the first time in many a year. Uh, David Clemmer. Uh, turn back the clock on the weekend Um, He's actually been very good He's been averaging over 165 metres a game He was
1: incredible In that game And as soon as I said that He knocked that ball off. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, did, like, yeah. Hit it, with yeah it was ball. like a bit of a yeah. like tape You know Because it was like He actually planned it alright And got up and did everything right It was just got but stuck he, to his he hand. was
1: in, He was incredible He was so involved And he was like very physical And until that last error He didn't make any errors So Yeah
0: um, and then Papali, Bateman and, and Pole. Oh, what a back row, mate. that is just that is an all international back row. Fanua Bowler, absolute origin star of the future. His footwork at the line reminds me of reminds me of a young Jason Tomalolo. Uh, it is immense. Uh, he's an outstanding player. And then we look at the Dragons forward pack, the Bellin and Byer playing hooker, Blake Laurie, who's solid without being outstanding. Billy Burns, you know, was a cup player for Penrith a few years ago, hasn't really kicked on, before, but he finds himself in the Dragons back row, surprise, surprise. Jaden Su'a, who has his moments, but again consistency, and then Jack Bird, who's you know you know peaked in twenty sixteen. So um, I, I think that's where the battle is, won and lost like most games, and then that'll allow the play off the back. Now I would like to see a bit more um, fluidity in the back line. Now they've got some confidence. Hopefully it is dry, uh, and we can allow the likes of Junior Tupu, Stafford Toa, and, and Tommy to allow the 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 room to shine. Um, that's some getting some outballs there, some one on ones. Uh, some three-on-twos at the back with Jareen Buller, who proved against Penrith that he can create those three-on-twos with his speed uh, and his pass selection. Uh,
1: so I have the Tigers winning this one. I'll say by 12. So much for that quick prediction. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we'll let you have it. Tigers Tigers, harmed on the weekend, and you deserve it, Tom. Thank you. Uh, Roosters, Cowboys. Um, I've got Roosters quite easily. Cowboys are poo. They're stinking hot pooing. Yeah.
0: I would say that I've tried to keep faith in the Cowboys a bit in terms of tipping them the last few weeks, and they've cost me, cost me dearly. Um, I did say at the start of the year, actually, that I didn't see the Cowboys receding to the pack again. I just thought that last year, a, a, a whole bunch of their players had their best season they've had in years, and they would need to replicate that or elevate that to achieve the same level as, as the competition progressed, and we haven't seen that occur um, there's a disc. There's a disconnect there somewhere. I think Chad Townsend Rescinded back to the mean after an outstanding year. Often, as you get older, you can have those outstanding years and Rescind back to the pack. Um, and but I think um, for for Roosters, it's about finding their attack. I think they they found their old defensive self last last year. And a good thing, always, you know, they got Kronk kiri Tedesco back in those Premiership winning years, but a lot of their success was built on a rock hard defensive line and not being able to, not being able to uh, to beat to be, uh, rock hard D. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> oh man oh who invited the twelve yards to the party yeah. um and then pusing a Sunday night yeah. slot power versus Titans I've got power power win power win power win Yep. Yeah. I got uh,
0: I got I got Parramatta winning this one as well. I'm hoping they can find some mojo and consistency. Um, obviously last week you know they played a a Knights team that just was wasn't there mentally prepared. Um, obviously Gold Coast you know again they do have those days out where they can mm. you know put on points. You know points is well, I'm interested to see Jaden Campbell or fullback. I know Brimrow, I'm a big fan of AJ Brimson, but uh, he's done another hamstring, so he's out. Um, but he, I I would expect if Penrith can find their D their defence if <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can find it uh, if they can, <laughs> yeah, they can find it then, uh, then um, I think they um, I think they win this one I remember last year actually one of the marquee matches the 2pm game last year was uh, Parramatta versus East and it was a really seesawing affair um, Papa Lee he had absolutely had a game out and I thought oh can't wait to get this guy at Concord I was in his veins down there at the Zurich Centre um. <laughs> But um uh, he uh he he's uh he's gone to Greener Pastures this year with West. But um yeah you know, I think um I think Parramatta in this one. But I'm sure for all those listeners we do I'm sure we do have a lot of listeners heading up there to Magic Round. I know I know of several long time listeners of the podcast, first time callers
1: um <laughs> who tuning into uh to today's episode and then be heading up there. Knights are in the bin. Yeah. If you're a Knights fan, you sad and. Just pick a new team. Yeah, yeah. Do so favour. <laughs> but hopefully the NRL adopt the wooden spoon as Miss Rat Magic Round. We'd yeah. love to see some sort of punishment for coming last yeah. and an incentive to win those late-season games because that's a problem. I'll let school.
0: you know how I feel about that at the end of the season. Yeah.
1: Um, what I
0: will say is I, I would think that the, the team with the lowest membership or fan base should be the no, team No, I don't. I think so the, should... the
1: Roosters should miss out every... It should be. But, yeah. <laughs> it should be performance-based, I yeah. think. You want to lose, you want to win the wooden spoon, you want to give up on your season, then you're not going to magic round. You're not having fun with all the other kids. You can't eat ice cream with the yeah, other kids yeah. tonight. Sorry. That's
0: right. No honey bees for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: anyway, that's uh, that's
0: all. Um But uh, we'll leave it there. That's our that's our magic round uh, review. Uh, I do believe we've got some questions there, but given that we are running tight on time, I believe we only have time for one. Um, so. Why don't we go ahead and uh, ask that, and we can both give an answer to that one.
1: Yeah, we'll finish up on the this question here. So uh, one of our callers has asked, where's the best strategic position for an 18th NRL club at the end of the broadcast deal? Interesting. Very interesting indeed. Now, it's, it, the strategic
0: location, you can think of many things. You think about where population is going. Uh, you can think about where the market is nationally, you know, you want to expand into Western Australia or South Australia, for example, or you could think about a pathways example where you try and hook into the Pacifica or Papua New Guinea, for example. For me, I would love to see a team either based out of Port Moresby or half the time spent out of Port Moresby and other to spent in North Queensland playing from uh, from a Cowboys stadium up there. I would love to see a PNG team. Um, I, I love seeing PNG at the World Cup. Um, I think they play with so much passion. They run like their life depends on it. They love the game of rugby league. It's the only country in the world where rugby league is a national sport. Um, and, and some of the runs, I remember the the World Cup last year. Some of the runs, I was like, whoa! Because <laughs> they just run and you hear the contact. When you hear the contact on the effect, mark, that's that. Now, you can think about, if you think about the national market, Western Australia is an obvious thing, but that would have to be... You know, uh, pump prime with, with cash and expansion. There, it doesn't have the junior base. There's talk of a team in uh, Victoria, you could have a regional Victoria team, maybe down in Geelong because they do have a junior base down there. And, and Melbourne have obviously been very successful, and it is, you know, Australia's second most popular state. It, it, Melbourne has actually tipped to become Australia's biggest city uh, over coming years as well. So, in terms of a population, it's, that's the, sporting the
1: capital of the world, too. Like. Yeah. Melbourne, But no.
0: let's not pump their ties up too much. But it is, <laughs> though.
1: Like, all the major events in, in Melbourne, like, people down there love their sport. So, like, yeah. if there's a new team, I'm sure people will get around it. Yeah. I think... I think the ultimate goal is to build... to get west. You know what I mean? To lock... Go west! Just include the western side of our great, beautiful nation in the things that we do. But I don't think you start a club in Western Australia to... To get that done I think you've got to Creep over there slowly So whether you go Another Victorian team One of those places In western Victoria Or just creeping over A little bit Or whether it might be Adelaide or Adelaide Rams Bring them back Yeah just somewhere A little bit closer And then you can Edge your way west One step at a time Um Because you can't just You know Go all the way out west And then expect A massive NRL community to grow You've got to grow The communities along the way yeah. Um yeah, and I think there's probably enough interest in the Vic- Victorian area for another team down there, but because Melbourne's quite close to Adelaide, um, yeah, a team in Adelaide I think would be the best ideal yeah. spot. I I like what you're saying about PNG. and G. I just I worry for that long term. I feel like it'll be a bit of a honeymoon phase at first, so you get a few good seasons, but like, I just yeah I worry about that long term and. Yeah, I think we have got to look look in our own backyard yeah. first. But not to say that rugby league in PNG shouldn't be like built up. It definitely should. Should be more outreach programs to get more of the players involved in our competitions here, or you know, do some games like regular season games in the PNG to see how it is received and see how it goes. Yeah, I think they're the steps you take over there first. Yeah, and I don't I don't want another out of Australia team yet. Right. I think there's just more potential we need to tap into on our great nation yeah. before we look elsewhere. Yeah. The other one you could do is could be part of a defence
0: play, you know, shoring up our, our northern borders there. If you believe, like me, that rugby league is our greatest arm of soft diplomacy, uh, you know, the rugby league ring you could call it. You know, you get a team in the Pacifica, you get a team in Fiji, uh, you get a team in Tonga, Samoa, uh With with Now we're talking 22 teams. Yeah. How's that for an extra <laughs> couple of games in your broadcast deal if you want to expand going forward? Um, I, I do like Adelaide, but again, I, I would think WA has about double the population um than compared to South Australia. So, um uh, and and that time slot naturally works well. You can have a nine thirty game, you know, people comparing pan into that, you know, even more fun fun for Magic Round. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I think uh, there's a worthwhile discussion to be had there. Um, I do think there is a cause for an eighteenth team. Otherwise, um, it has to be. it has to be because it's yeah. Yeah, that's nine games. That's what the AFL's moved to. Ironically And I've got a question Coming in here From Luke From uh, Cronulla Southern Shire uh, Who says uh, the With the expansion In the AFL To a uh, 19th team Tasmania In Tasmania Imminent uh, What do you think Of a magic round In Tasmania
1: <laughs> Yeah right uh, Yeah I mean I guess so For sure A little island vibe yeah. You know Lock everyone in um, Yeah yeah, I haven't paid I haven't paid the AFL too much thought yeah. since that stadium deal. I'm still dirty as we talked about on uh, hook in. I'm dirty. Canberra didn't haven't got their stadium sorted yeah. yet, so yeah, I've I've got the shits with Tasmania. Yeah, they right. Well Well, um, I'm a, I'm a fan of it
0: because as I said, um, I'm not James Sicily from the Hawthorne Football Club, so I might be able to say this without getting into as much trouble as he did. Is that uh, it might actually give people a reason to visit Tasmania outside of being a golden oldie going down to see the, the, the art museum down there or the Salamanca markets with the with the old girl, um. So uh, I'm a big believer in the stadium down there and a uh, magic round in Tasmania. Well, I, I think it'd be just as good as a magic round in Brisbane. <laughs>
1: Very good. We'll see about that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. But yeah, it's good to see uh, some investment down there in the uh, in the apple oil. You know, to be a national game for the AFL, you know, Tasmania has been a long time supporter of and, and sponsored both Hawthorne and the North Melbourne for multiple years to have a team to have games down there. So it's only natural for me that they get a team down there. So glad to see uh, Tasmania getting a 19th AFL team. So thanks for that question, Lucky Boy. And uh, yeah, sometimes uh, the business case doesn't quite get there, but that political will does. So uh, good on you, mate, and uh, keep listening to Political Football. Uh, that's all we have time for this week on Political Football. It has been a bumper episode, of pre-budget special. We'll be back shortly in a couple of weeks' time to review the budget in depth as well as Magic Round and what's going on in the league at that point in time. So again, thank you to all our listeners. Thank you to my co-host, Joseph Boyden, and uh, happy Rugby League Australia.
1: Enjoy yourselves.